Okay, now we're going to do the scripture reading um, from Colossians 2, verses 6 and 7, and 1 John 2, 6. That's on the back of your bulletin, or it's going to be up on the screen as well. Colossians 2, 6 and 7, and 1 John 2, 6. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning, and we thank you for this time that we have of worship. Thank you for this cloudy day when we get to come together. And God, we thank you for being our Father. Thank you for all of our fathers and the love that they show us, and pray that today would just be a beautiful day of communion with you and time with family, that you would just impress truth on our hearts, that we could walk as you walked and know you better. Jesus, we love you and pray these things in your name. Amen. All right, I have just a couple other quick announcements. Number one is that... um, we are making a renewed effort to start church on time. Church starts at 10. See, I knew that. See how important it is? See how bad we have become? So we are uh, making a sincere effort to do a course correction on starting on time. So thank you very much to uh, Taylor and Liz and Nick this morning starting on time. We appreciate that. We've, uh, we've got about eight years of bad habits so um, be patient with us to uh, make this better. And honestly, for me, it, it just, it, there's many reasons why I think it's important, but one of them is just to even be respectful of time and an issue of integrity. If we say we're going to start at 10, let's just start at 10. So um, help us partner together with that. Um, the second thing is we are continuing to inch along with our, um, our little Sunday school classroom right out here. Um, the, the roof was completed on Friday, and we're hoping to finish the floor and interior painting this week, and then exterior painting um, the following week. So it's one of those projects that you think you're done, but it's never, ever done. If you've done a remodel on a house, you know what I'm talking about. So thank you, though. I've got uh, many people have volunteered to help with that, and I uh, appreciate that. So thank you for that. I'm going to move this. I'd like to keep myself. We are on part two of a series that we started last week, and the big idea is this, that what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. So the idea that what you do every day in your life matters more than what you do once in a while. And we know that's true in certain parts of our life, eating, our, our diets, that if it's, it's more important that you eat healthy regularly and not just once in a while. It doesn't help you very much. Same thing is true spiritually, that what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. Last week, <clears throat> we talked about prayer and the idea that, that God wants to be a part of your life, your everyday life, and that we are to be talking to God about the things that we, um, that we are part of in our regular life. <clears throat> On the bulletin, <clears throat> excuse me, on the bulletin, I, I, I just mentioned, I think, four or five prayers on the back that just for you to use during um, the week 
as part of your own personal time. Um, there are literally dozens and dozens or hundreds of prayers in the Bible, and so I just picked five that I've, that I've used. Um, I didn't use these, these prayers this week, but what I did use, and um, you're welcome to different ideas as well, but I used the hymn that we sang this morning, Be Thou My Vision. And that was, that was really um, the thing I used this week as part of my prayer life and my own time to reflect and, and to think about God and my life and my future and different things. And so I just encourage you, whether it's an old hymn or a prayer in the Bible, to find something that's meaningful to you that you can meditate on and, and encourage you to grow. So this morning we are talking about the idea of your devotion to Christ and what that looks like. And so we will look at Colossians um, chapter 2. <clears throat> but before we do that, I just want to repeat something from last week and um, and that's a quote that I read from two weeks ago, and I think we have it on the wall, but just to direct our attention to um, an important place, let's read that. I think we have that, Russell. <clears throat> Talking about, again, what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. If we give priority to our outer life, our inner life will be dark and scary. We will not know what to do with solitude. We will be deeply uncomfortable with self-examination. We will have an increasingly short attention span for any kind of reflection. Even more seriously, our lives will lack integrity. Outwardly, we will need to project confidence, spiritual and emotional health, and wholeness, while inwardly, we may be filled with self-doubts, anxieties, self-pity, and old grudges. Yet we won't know how to go to the inner rooms of our heart, see clearly what is there, deal with it, in short, unless we put a priority on the inner life, we turn ourselves into hypocrites. And so we want to give, um, give attention to our inner life, our hearts, um, that part of our lives that um, really often people don't, don't know about or are unaware of. And so this morning, um, the idea of your devotion to Christ, of your relationship with Christ is where we want to focus our attention let me read the passage one more time, and then we'll talk about it this morning. The Apostle Paul, writing to this church, the small community of believers, writes, Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus our Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. <clears throat> what we'll do this morning is we'll, we'll, we will just look at a couple of these um, phrases, and spend some time trying to understand better what they mean. So, number one is this idea of to receive Christ. What does it mean to receive Christ? And I know that, um, that every morning, when, every time we gather here on Sunday mornings, that there are people here who have made a commitment to follow Christ, and there are people here who are thinking about it and, and wrestling about it, and there are people here who have not made that commitment and are just thinking about their own spirituality. And this is a, a profoundly important thing for us to understand. What does it mean to receive Christ? And number one, I want to direct your attention to this, is that it means you are receiving a person. That Jesus Christ is a person. That when Paul talks about receiving the gospel or receiving Christ, 
we have to be very careful not to allow our minds to go to the place that you are receiving evangelical Christianity American style, that you are receiving the Roman Catholic Church, that you are receiving just some spirituality. The Apostle Paul makes a precise point to say that you are receiving the person of Jesus Christ. And not to allow yourself to make excuses and to put up um, screens of defense because you don't want anything to do with evangelical Christianity in America. And there are lots of critiques and criticisms that we can make against evangelical Christianity in America, but that is not the point. The, the point is receive a person, receive Jesus Christ. One of my most clear memories for me when I was a child was a painting, and it's a painting from uh, Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. Now, what's interesting, I haven't seen this painting for a long time, and I'll show it to you. And you might have to be like my age or maybe older to even recognize this, this painting. And I think we have it here. And it's a, uh, anyone remember that from your childhood? All right. And uh, um, Richard Stallman, Russell, is that right? The, the artist, you remember? We looked up. Okay, I think that's right. Anyways, I didn't even know who the artist was. But he is, um, New York Times, 1994, picked him as the artist of the century, and uh, he's known for, for painting images of, of Christ. Now, what's interesting, so my childhood, I'm talking about the early 1970s, the mid-1970s, spending the night at my grandmother's house and having this painting on the wall and her praying with me and, and investing in me and, and asking me, um, if I would want to read Revelation 3.20, and we'll read that in a minute. And just this idea that Christ, the person, wants to be a part of your life. If you have your Bible, just turn, and it's a familiar verse. And we're going to spend just a moment here because it, there's some really important things for us to notice here. This is Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And the, these are the words of Christ um, written by um, the Apostle John. This is Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, and I'll read the verse, and it says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. And this, this was something I could grasp, having that little painting. And, and here's, I didn't finish my thought from a second ago, but in the 1970s, um, this was kind of a, maybe a, a somewhat well-known painting. But today, when I did a little bit of research on it, um, the painting this week, it's highly criticized today for various reasons. So you can form your own opinions about the, the artwork. But it, it stuck with me with this idea that Christ wants to be a part of your life, that he wants access to the inner part of your life, the inner... Um, the inner sacred place of your life. We are, we are more susceptible, we are more vulnerable to hurt, to discouragement. The world is a hard place often. And when we need to remind ourselves that daily, that what you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while, is this, that Jesus Christ is standing there 
wanting access to your life, to your heart, to who you are on the inside. And what happens is, and I'll show you this from this passage in Revelation, is that often the church is a gathering of people who come and there's this mix of people. Some are committed followers of Christ and some are just around Christianity because they like the good things that it brings. And let me show you, this is really interesting what Jesus says here about our personal lives. This is John chapter, excuse me, Revelation chapter 3, verse 17. And this is the words of Christ when he says this. To this church, he's writing to a church in Laodicea, a community of believers, and he says this. For I say to you, I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. This is talking about the people, the community of believers in this church. I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. So Jesus is saying this. You think you've got life altogether, like that Tim Keller quote, like this outward appearance that you're confident, you're healthy, life is under control, you put on this outer display. Jesus is saying the same thing. You put on this outward display not realizing on the inside, poor, blind, and naked. And Jesus says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen and the salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Verse 19, those whom I love, I reprove and I discipline so to be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Paul is saying back in Colossians that to receive the gospel means you have received the person of Christ. That's who you are. That that's what it means. That is a part of your life. And the, what's interesting too, as you study this passage a little bit more and you look at the word receive, it's actually a really interesting and complex Greek word. The, the word is lambano, but there are multiple prefixes to this word that give it nuanced meaning. And so here's what it means. Number one, I said this, is that to receive Christ means you have received a person. But it also means this, that you receive the truth of the teaching of that person. To receive Christ means you receive truth and you receive a person. The Apostle Paul wants us to understand this, that Jesus is the Christ. He is the anointed one. He is Yeshua, the one who saves, and he is the Lord. When you receive Christ, you receive him as Lord. And that is where meaning and significance begin to take place in your life. If you have your bulletin, I, I just made three big idea points, and that is that as a part of our regular life that we are to receive Christ, is that to remind yourself that Christ always and regularly wants to be a part of your life, and that to receive him is to receive a person. Number two, the Apostle Paul goes on and says that we are to walk with him a part of our regular everyday life is that we are to live our, our lives walking with him. That means this. That means the things that come out of our mouths, 
things we do, how we interact with people, all of those things are shaped by Christ. John, in his writings, mentions something very similar in 1 John. It's on your bulletin. And it says this, that whoever professes to abide in Christ, whoever professes to be a true follower, will walk with him in the same way in which Christ walked. Now, to help us understand this, this idea of walking with Christ, let me explain this with two different parts. One is the agreeable part. There is so much about the teachings of Jesus that we like and we agree with and we admire that it's still hard to do, but we agreeably work on it. For example, Jesus speaks a lot about forgiveness. We know that forgiving people is good. It's healthy for us. It's healthy for your relationship. It's healthy for your own life. Holding grudges and holding bitterness is bad for us. We know that. So walking with Christ, there is part of this that's agreeable. Even though it's hard, we like it. We know that it's good. There's another part, though, of following Christ that is more challenging, and that is an obedience aspect. So there is part of life, the routine of life, that we follow Christ, that we make this commitment that I'm going to follow Christ, that, that I like it, it's hard, but I'm still going to do it. What happens, though, in your life when Jesus calls you to do something that you don't want to do? That you know that he says to do this, but you don't want to do this. Let's think about this concept just for a second, and let's start by talking about the physical world. All right, and see how this works out in, in our lives regularly. Tomorrow morning, some of you um, will wake up and have to go to work, and you will feel extra tired and sleepy. The alarm goes off, and you say, I really just want to go back to bed. But you get up, and you go to work, because you have to. You know it's the right thing to do. You have discipline in your life. Some of you will have a Father's Day brunch, and... The food will be amazing, but at some point, you know you have to stop eating. And you're going to say, you know what? Everything in my body says eat more because it tastes great, but I know a lot of you, we have a lot of highly disciplined people in our church, you're going to stop because you want to take care of yourself. Tuesday morning comes, you know that you need to exercise, and you're like, I just don't feel like it. You think of all of these excuses, not exercise. But again, I know people in our church are really good at exercising, and you do it anyways. There are so many things in our physical lives that our desires say, do this, do this, have this food, eat this, eat this. But you say, nope, not going to do it. This week, a couple days ago, we had a church leader meeting, and um, I brought lunch, and Joel and I were here first, and for whatever reason, I bought some cookies at Vintage, and they were just amazing. Joel and I snuck one before anyone else got here. And then we're all eating, and I think we offered Tony one. And Tony, if I remember right, said, no, thank you, I'm not going to have the cookie. Listen, we care about things. We have discipline. We, we, we understand this. We put limits on ourselves. Some of you enjoy a glass of wine but you say, I'm going to stop at one. Why, why do we do these kinds of things? Why do we get up and go to work when we're exhausted? Why do we stop eating ice cream after one or two scoops? Because you have discipline. Because you know 
that restrictions lead to freedom. Many of you have very healthy lives in the physical part of your life because you know that putting the right restraints on your life leads to health. What happens, though, in our spiritual lives? Culture today says this, you are the ultimate authority. You decide what's right and wrong. You are the judge, and there aren't restraints. If you have your Bible and you look just at the next verse after the verse from the bulletin, chapter 2, verse 8, it says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy, by empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of this world. There are things in the world, there are spiritual things, there are moral things, that if you are going to walk in obedience to Christ, that you must allow Him to say no to certain things. Just as you say no to yourself, to certain habits in your life, will you allow Christ to say no? Today the message is this. Only you decide what is spiritually true. Only your feelings and only your desires know what is morally true and right. You alone know what is best for your life. That is the world we live in. That is the spiritual world we live in. You alone know. You alone determine your future. You are in charge spiritually of your life. If we agree with Jesus, then we walk with Jesus. But obedience to Jesus means this, that you allow him to cross your will. Here's what I'm saying. Jesus, this feels right to me, but you say it's wrong, so I'm not going to do it. Think about that for a second. Jesus, this feels so right for me to do this, but I'm not going to do it because you say it's wrong. We apply that to dessert. This feels so right to keep going, but I'm not going to do it because I know it's wrong. Think about your moral and your spiritual life. This feels so right, but I'm not going to do it because Jesus says it's not right, it's wrong. Obedience to Jesus doesn't begin until you begin to think that Jesus has bad ideas, but you follow him anyways. I read this this week from somebody, I don't remember who it was. Obedience to Jesus doesn't begin until you think Jesus has a bad idea, but you follow it anyways. There is so much the Christian life that is agreeable, that we all like, that we want to follow Christ. But what happens when Jesus has an idea that you think is bad? See, that is the mark of maturity. That is the mark of growth in our lives. That is why we know people that struggle in life, people struggle in life, if you can't get out of bed for work, Life is hard. If all you do is eat massive amounts of desserts, life is hard. If you don't have restraints on yourself, life is hard. So we understand that where we live in Malibu. People put restraints because that, they know that leads to greater freedom. Financially, you put restraints that leads to greater freedom. But spiritually, everything changes. To walk with Christ means you walk with him in the things you agree with him with, but it also means you walk with him in things that require your obedience. It's a life of faith. It's the life of trust. Number three on our bulletin, 
is that we learn from Jesus. Again, I'll read the passage. What you do every day matters more than what you do once in a while. And that's you receive Christ. Before you can learn from Christ, you must spend time with Christ. He must be a part of your life. You must receive him. You must walk with him. And then we can learn from him. The Apostle Paul writes this, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith, just as you were taught. And what I did this week, I just did in my reading this week, I, I read from several people, and one of the things, um, one author I read just captured um, towards the end of his life, he was an older gentleman, and he captured things that he felt like that Christ had taught him over the course of his life. And let me just share these um, just briefly with you, and I'll be very brief, but there's um, four things here that, that captured his heart. We won't turn to all the passages, but I'll um, refer to them. And this is all based on 1 John chapter 2, verse 6, that says, if we are going to abide in Christ, we must walk with him. So number one, if we are going to learn from Christ, we must be like Christ in his service. John chapter 13 is the picture of Jesus washing his disciples' feet. And if we think about that culturally for a second, what is happening there? Jesus Christ is taking on the role of a slave, of a servant. What are the implications of that for you in your life? If Jesus Christ models for us all, and we are called to learn from him, and he models service, the service of a slave or a servant, what does that do for our attitude? What does that do towards how we treat people. I'm not asking you to just do um, menial tasks. That's not the point. If, if the Lord leads you to that, then that's great. But the point is this, is your attitude in your heart towards people. Jesus came to love people, to serve people. How do you view people? Do you love them and serve them? Or are you a critic? Because that's what we naturally all have within us. We just look at people's lives and we're critics. And Jesus says this, that he came to serve and love people. Think about who he, who he did this. He did it towards his disciples who were just dumb-witted over and over and over and over again. They completely kept messing up, misunderstanding Christ. How hard is it? How hard is it to be patient and kind and serve people who continually mess up. It's really hard. Who continually make, make, make mistakes. Jesus is saying this, learn from me. This is what I'm teaching you. This is how I want you to live your life. Next, number two, be like Christ in his love. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 5. That is a picture of sacrifice. That you are willing to set aside the need to be right. That you are willing to set aside your own agenda, that you are willing to sacrifice your agenda, your priorities for Christ. Number three, be like Christ in his patient endurance. First Peter is a book written by the Apostle Peter to people who are suffering, to people who are being mistreated. And one of the things that we must press into our lives as followers of Christ is that in this world, you will have tribulation, that you will have times where you are mistreated, 
And how did Jesus respond to people who mistreated him? With patient endurance. This letter written by Peter was written to a bunch, a community of people who were suffering, who were being mistreated, who were enduring life-threatening, physical, hard challenges of life. And we get our feelings so hurt, so simply. If somebody doesn't treat us with respect, we get angry. If someone snubs us, we get irritated. The words of Christ as an example to live your life with patience, endurance, knowing that you are in His will and how you live your life. Number four, be like Christ in His mission. John chapter 20. That there was a clarity of purpose in the life of Christ. Are you learning that? Are you growing that? Do your neighbors know that there's something different about you? I haven't said this in a long time, but I remember this from the very beginning of our church, that it was something on my mind regularly, and that was this idea that people might not agree with us in our theological views in our community, but they're glad we're here. They're glad we're a part of their lives. What, what does it take in your life for people to say, I'm sure glad this person is a part of my life. I might not agree with their beliefs about Jesus in the Bible, but I'm sure glad they are a part of my life because they bring goodness to my life. They bring light. They bring joy. They bring patience. There's something different. The mission of Christ was a new kingdom. I'm not saying that you need to go and, and prepare little mini sermons to, to give to your friends. I'm saying live your life in a way that is beautiful, that captures their attention, that says there's something different about the way they live. And the, the difference is one person. It's not a church. It's not our, the gathering. It's Jesus Christ. It's Christ alone. We sang that this morning, that in Christ alone we will boast. How are you doing in your everyday life? How is your prayer life? How is your devotion to Christ? It is far easier than we realize to walk away from Christ, to get discouraged, to have pain in our lives. I was reading this week um, about a, a gentleman, and we've seen this just too much, who had all of the outward appearances of having life together, and he walks away from Christ. He walks away from his relationship with Christ. We, are, we don't care about the outward appearances. We care about who you are on the inside. And life is more challenging than we realize. I had some uh, tragic news this week and um, I didn't really even know how to deal with it. I didn't even think about even sharing it, but just, I'll just be very brief just as a reminder of, of how important it is our love for Christ and, and life. And um, uh, A second student of mine um, overdosed on drugs and, and lost his life um, this week. Um, 21, 22 years old, 1920 young guy, and um, one of the things that happens as a teacher, 
um, is you become close with people, that you love your students. And um, life is secretly hard for so many people. And I know that's true for people here. And this is, this is the land of the beautiful. We know this. The Malibu, Southern California is the land of the beautiful. But behind that is broken and hurting people. And I want to say that Jesus Christ is the only answer. It is not a church. It's not an organization. It's the person who's standing at the door of your heart that wants you to open the door, that wants you to receive Him, receive the good news of the gospel, that you are loved and you are forgiven. And it's those of us that, who have received Christ that we are now called to reflect and love Christ and love people. Love people around us that are hurting. You can just guarantee this, 100% guarantee this for the rest of your life, that there are people that are hurting more than you know. That there are people who have hidden things. That they put a great smile, but behind the great smile and the perfect teeth, there's pain. There's hurt. And we need compassion. We need the love of Christ through us to love people. Not asking them to join a church, not asking them to make a donation, that you love people and you reflect the love of Christ. Let's pray together. <clears throat> Father, I thank you so much that you gave your son to us, that you have given us a reason to live, that you have given us your grace and joy to live life in a way that transcends this world. Father, we are, we are thankful, as, as the Apostle Paul wrote in this passage this morning, that, that our hearts are abounding with thanksgiving. Not because we live in Malibu, not because we have a, a, a meaningful community here, but because of your son, Jesus. Father, we thank you for that. <clears throat> we thank you that you extend to us your grace every day. We need it. Father, I pray that we would grow in compassion, grow in love for each other, grow in patience, grow in understanding. I pray that there would be a renewed love and commitment to your son, Jesus. We love you. Amen.